turn to Genesis chapter 26. We'll be covering the, the entire chapter of Genesis 26. Genesis 26, verses 1 through 35. Do you remember your first day at school? Now, it might be a little different for some of you. Maybe some of you were homeschooled or in private school or in public school. I was uh, in public school, and, and I don't remember my first day. You probably don't remember your first day at school. But I bet it was a very nervous time for your parents. Maybe they were excited. I don't know. But it always seems to be that way if you send your uh, kids to school away from your home. So they're all bright-eyed looking at everything with excitement and wonder. And mom sits outside the school in her car with tears in her eyes, wondering where all the time has gone. And then for the kid, reality begins to set in. It's not always exactly what they were expecting. There is still plenty of excitement, new friends to be made, fun things to learn. But there are also difficulties, challenges, boredom. If you haven't had that experience, maybe you've had a similar experience at another time. When you were embarking on some new adventure, maybe when you went on your first overnight sleepover or your first week at camp or college, starting a new job, moving to a new town. Um, If you haven't experienced it, you will one day, I'm sure. But there are many of you who are facing perhaps challenges now. You're you're embarking on new territory you're not familiar with. And you're unsure. It may cause some uncertainty in your heart and in your mind. You may be afraid. And you won't simply be able to depend on your own past experiences. Because this is different. But the truth that we learn is that even with all the things that are different or the new things that we embark on or the things that will be different, there is one thing that will remain the same. There's one thing that will never change. There's someone, I should say, who will be your rock and your foundation in every new circumstance, in every difficulty, in any challenge that comes your way. So brothers and sisters in Christ, this morning I want to proclaim to you that you have a God who is unchangingly faithful. Unchangingly faithful. He's never unfaithful. He's always faithful. He will never let you down or change his mind about what is right and good. He will never leave you or forsake you. And this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you belong to him through faith in Christ, he is your God too. And you are his child. So follow along me as I read. And let's see how this truth of God's unchanging faithfulness is expressed in this passage. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. 
because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She's really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people. Anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold, because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Essek, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and that night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your, of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahazath, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? And they answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, There ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went away peacefully. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. And they said, We found water. He called it Sheba. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Barry, the Hittite, and also Basemath, daughter of Elon, the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would take this story, that you would take your word, and that you would use it to, to teach us,
to strengthen our faith, to convict us of sin and draw us to repentance. Father, nothing we do here this morning matters if you don't move, if you don't work by your Spirit. And so do as you have promised and work by the reading and preaching of your Word. Give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here's our theme for this morning. Because God is unchangingly faithful, we can trust Him to be faithful today, tomorrow, and forever. Because God is unchangingly faithful, we can trust Him today, tomorrow, and forever. So in this passage, we see God's continuing faithfulness to Abraham. We have seen God's promises to Abraham to make him into a great nation, to give him a land of his own. And to give him a descendant, an offspring, which would bring blessing to the whole world. But the question may come to our minds. What is to come of these promises to Abraham once he is dead? Will they be buried with him? Or will they continue on to his children and to his children's children? And from our text comes this answer. Just as God was with Abraham, so will he be with Isaac. So will he be with Abraham's son, the son of the promise. The promises would continue. And as surely as Abraham still lived after he died, so would God's promises live on to generation after generation for his favored people. And this would be a great comfort to the Israelites who were on the brink of entering the promised land as they read these stories. They would need courage in their new Adventure, they would need faith. They would need to remember that God was with them and that He was faithful. And now, this is a great comfort to us as well, to the people of God in all times. For if God has been faithful to keep His promises to Abraham year after year and generation after generation for thousands of years, what would make us think that He would be any less faithful to His people now? This passage draws us up out of our momentary trials into the great story of God's faithfulness. For it is God himself who says through the prophet Micah, uh, Malachi, excuse me, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And this faithfulness finds its fullest expression in the person and work of Jesus Christ. For he is the promised son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through whom all the nations are blessed and through whom we are saved as we come to him in faith. So notice the structure of our text. We see God's instructions and promises to Isaac in verses 1 through 6. We see God's blessing of protection on Isaac, really in the rest of the chapter. In verses 7 through 16, Isaac's wife is protected. And he grows in prosperity. You see God's provision and his protection. In verses 17 to 22, he's protected from from famine and lack of water. And in verses 23 to 33, he is protected from these potential enemies who sent him away. It was famine that caused Isaac to go to Gerar. And when he goes, God appears to him and speaks to him. So he instructs Isaac, do not go to Egypt, but dwell here in the land. And he makes promises to him. I will be with you. I will bless you. I will give these lands to you and your offspring. I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. 
I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And what is, what is it that is the ground of these promises? It is Abraham. I will do these things, God says, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my law. Now you'll remember that Abraham, like every other biblical character except one, had a mixture of faith and doubt, of obedience and disobedience. Our forefathers in the faith weren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But sometimes we act like that, right? And if we're not careful, we can cause big problems as we teach Bible stories to kids. Have faith like Abraham. Stand up to your giants like David. Have wisdom like Solomon. Be bold like the prophets. Now, there are certainly many lessons we can draw from these men and women in the Bible, our forefathers in the faith. And we should see their examples and learn from them. But if we ignore their sins, then we could unwittingly be teaching our kids a gospel of works rather than a gospel of grace. Abraham wasn't perfect. And yet he persevered through his sin, through his doubt, through his struggling, he persevered in believing God, in trusting, in having faith in the word of promise. He believed God, and what does the scripture say? It was credited to him as righteousness. God imputed to Abraham a righteousness that was not his own. And this is the ground for his restatement of the promise to Isaac. These are not simply new promises. Rather, they are bound up in God's promises to Abraham. Promises which would never be broken. And what do we see? Verse 6. Isaac settled in Gerar. Here's an example to follow. We're speaking of examples. Here's an example to follow. Isaac had confidence in the word of God. He settled down in a foreign land because of the word of the Lord. When everything around you seems unsteady, steady yourself on the sure word of God. Isaac obeys God's word. And yet, there are still some signs of lingering doubt and fear. He makes the same mistake as his father did. He lies and says his wife is his sister because he's afraid for his own safety. And for that of his wife, he obeys the Lord and yet doubts his blessing of protection. And yet, like his father, he tries to help God a little bit. He has a sneaking suspicion that God needs a little nudge, a little push to help him get his promises going. But Abimelech, though he is not a part of the covenant family, fears God. He can't believe what Isaac has done to him and to his nation in lying to them. So in God's providence, God uses Isaac's doubt and fear and turns it into protection. The king warns, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So isn't it wonderful that God uses our blunders, our mistakes, and even our intentional sins trying to protect ourselves for his own glory and to carry out his plan. Isn't it wonderful that God is not a slave to our own free will and our sinful choices? That the success of God's plans doesn't hinge on our cooperation. God is sovereign and he is good. 
He has made a plan and he will work it through to the very end. So if he says he will bless Isaac and be with him and establish him, then he will do exactly that and nothing will get in his way. And for you who are in Christ, we have the promise that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God is working together all things for the good of his people. And that's not always to believe, is it? But think about what we're saying when we doubt his promises, when, when we doubt that promise. And we, when we doubt God's promises, we tend to think of it as a passive thing. And it is a passive thing. We are not believing when we should be believing. And yet it's also an active thing that we're doing. What are we doing when we doubt God's promise that he's working all things together for our good and his glory? Are we not saying that his word is not true? Are we not calling God a liar when we doubt this? Are we not calling into question his truthfulness and his faithfulness and his goodness and love, his sovereignty? But this is true. This is true. For God's word is true, every bit of it. Now, not only does God protect Isaac and Rebekah, he blesses them. His crops produce an amazing, unbelievable amount, so much that the people of the land envy him and are afraid of him. So they send him away. But God's blessing and protection don't stop there. We see it in verses 17 to 22 as he moves into the valley. But God's blessing and protection, as we know from our own experience, in this life are always a bit mixed with trouble. But this is not anything lacking in God or His promise, but because of the brokenness of the world in which we live. So Isaac digs wells and people cover them back over and, or they steal them. He must continue trusting in God in the face of adversity. And he does so. He finally digs a well and names it Rehoboth, meaning broad places because he finally had space to, to live and be fruitful in the land. God is fulfilling his promises. He's giving him protection, provision. He's giving him space to live. And in verses 22 to 33, we see God blessing Isaac still more. He moves to Beersheba, and there God reaffirms his promise to Isaac. Verse 24, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. And he worshiped the Lord there by building an altar and digging a well. Now notice once again that this promise is connected to Abraham. This is not a new plan, a new promise. This is the promise God had made to Abraham being reaffirmed to Isaac. And it belonged to him because he was the chosen spiritual heir of Abraham. Do you see that? It was for the sake of his servant, Abraham. God tells Isaac to not fear and then gives him a sign of his protection. The one who had sent him away now returns asking for a pledge of peace. So do you want to know how you know you're powerful? When people start coming to you asking you to promise that you'll be kind to them and peaceful to them, that's how you know you're powerful. Isaac has become great and powerful. And so Abimelech, the first-hand man and his top army commander, come to him and ask for peace. They see plainly that the Lord is with him. 
So they have a feast and get up in the morning and swear an oath of peace to one another. Now verses 34 and 35 are transitional verses. Where's this blessing that was on Abraham and now Isaac going to go next? Who would be the spiritual heir of the promise and this blessing of protection and provision? Esau took Hittite wives and they were made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So there's a hint there. The promises are not going to flow to Esau, but to Jacob, who's already received the birthright and is about to receive the blessing. So, friends, what would God have us gain from this passage this morning? What will give us comfort from knowing this story? Well, it's this. What I've stated as our theme, because God is unchangingly faithful, we can trust Him to be faithful today, tomorrow, and forever. So for the uh, remainder of our time, consider God's faithfulness from this passage and why we can have confidence in God's faithfulness. As we face troubles and trials and new challenges, how can we be confident that God will be faithful to keep His Word? How can we have confidence that He will be faithful Not simply to His promise, but to us. So consider these three reasons why we can have confidence in God's faithfulness. First, we can have confidence in God's faithfulness because His promises are gracious. These promises that God makes to Abraham and reaffirms to Isaac, they are gracious in nature. They are not conditioned upon Abraham's or Isaac's perfect obedience. Rather, they are unconditional promises to be received by faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. God says, I will do this because of my servant Abraham. I will do this, in other words, for the sake of another. These promises to Isaac are gracious because they are based on the faithfulness of another. Now, God's words are certainly an encouragement to Isaac to obey, but it's clear that the promises are irrevocable and unconditional. Isaac must simply cling in faith to these promises. And friends, this is how God's promises come to us as well. Jesus is the promised seed of Abraham who would bless the nations. And he has done so by his wounds, which flow out for the forgiveness of sins. In Christ, the promises to Abraham are fulfilled. We have peace with God. It is because of Christ that God can now make his home in the hearts of men and women and children. It's because of Christ that we can be called the sons and daughters of God Most High. And it's because of Christ that we have an inheritance waiting for us in the kingdom of heaven. The land of promise pointed to something else, to a place of blessing, a place of peace, a place with God. God making his dwelling among us. And Christ is the transport that brings us into this kingdom. Do you know what God has done to save you? Do you know what God has done graciously to rescue you from hell and damnation? Jesus, who never once sinned, died as a sinner, as a sacrifice for sinners. Do you return to this again and again? Again and again and again. The gracious nature of His promises. Fix your minds on the gracious nature of God's promises and you will grow confident in the faithfulness of God even in the worst of situations. So what do you do when doubts and worries and fears creep in? Do you let your thoughts take over or do you take control over your thoughts? 
You see, what is said about temptation applies here to thoughts of worry or fear or doubt. Someone has said, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep a bird from making a nest in your hair. So friends, let's not assume the gospel when doubts and fears and worries attack us in our minds, in our Sunday gatherings, in our meetings throughout the week, let's be explicit about God's gracious promises. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Preach it to yourself. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Say with Paul, I am a desperate and wicked sinner. And Jesus Christ died to save sinners. And when you're giving way to fear and doubt and worry because of what you're facing, preach to yourself the gracious promises of God so you will remember that God is always faithful. Text it to each other throughout the week. Email it to each other. Speak it to one another. He is faithful. And His faithfulness is proven by His grace to those who don't deserve His love. So this gives us confidence in the faithfulness of God. His gracious promises. Second, we can have confidence in God's faithfulness because He is able to fulfill His plans. It doesn't help if God has good plans for us, but He doesn't have the power to see them through. How many plans have been proposed by presidential candidates only to be thwarted once they get into office? How many plans have you made throughout your lifetime only to see your dreams squashed because you didn't have the power to carry it out. There were certain things outside of your control. It wasn't for lack of effort or lack of desire. You just couldn't do it because you're finite. You're dependent on certain factors. You don't know what the future holds. But God is able, and we see this in this passage. God is able. God's sovereign power is written all over this story. His plan for Isaac is divine protection and blessing, and he carries it through. And this gives us great confidence in God's faithfulness. He has promised to save us who are in Christ by His grace, and He is able to bring it to pass. I can make promises day and night, but if I can't bring them about, it doesn't help us. But if one is able to make promises... And if one is able to keep them, if one is able to guarantee that they will be fulfilled, now that is comforting. And friends, this is who our God is. There's one more comfort for you who are in Christ. You can have confidence in God's faithfulness because His promises are gracious and because He is able to carry out the plans that He has made. And third, we can have confidence in God's faithfulness because He is immutable. Yeah, I said it. Immutable. You don't know what that word is, do you? I, I want, oh, some of you do. <laughs> nice. I could have said unchangeable, but your ears wouldn't have perked up like they did when I said immutable. I-M-M-U-T-A-B-L-E. It's a fancy theological word for unchangeable. It, God cannot change. He is unable to be changed. He is unchanging. And this is a great comfort for us. Listen, God's faithfulness in the past doesn't matter much if He might change in the future. We've all known people, I'm sure, who have been faithful in the past, but in that moment, you need them most. They let you down. 
happens to all of us, the best of us. And we really can't help it sometimes. We are fallen, sinful human beings. We change. But God does not change. I love those words. But God. But God is different from us. He doesn't change. He is immutable, unchangeable. You see, change implies imperfection. Something changes either for the better or for the worse. So if I change, maybe it's for the better. I get smarter or more organized or more helpful. Or if I change, it's for the worse. I get dumber or less organized or less helpful. So you see what I mean? Change implies imperfection. So if God were to change, it would be either for the better or for the worse. If God changes for the worse, then there's no question about it. He's not God. For then he would be less than loving, less than sovereign, less than good. But if he changes for the good, it's still problematic. For then he becomes better than he was? No. God is as faithful as he could possibly be. And he will not change. And this is a great comfort for God's people. It is a great comfort because this is true about our God. He is faithful. He's the standard of faithfulness. Though every man proved to be unfaithful, still he will be found faithful, perfectly faithful, without an ounce of unfaithfulness, for he cannot change. Now, If this doesn't give us confidence in God's faithfulness, I don't know what will. His promises are gracious. He is able and powerful to fulfill all of His promises to you in Christ. And He is faithful and unchanging. So this is the big theme of the text. God has been faithful to Abraham. And He has been faithful to Isaac. And He will be faithful to Jacob And as we read the story, he will be faithful to thousands upon thousands who call upon his name in faith. And will he not be faithful to you? Will he not give you all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ? Will he not sustain you through this new trial? Will he not give you the strength needed? Will he not give you the faith itself to persevere? Will he not protect you and keep you? In your hour of greatest need. He will, brothers and sisters. Because he forsook Christ in his hour of greatest desperation for our sake. He will keep all these promises because of Christ. It won't be because you have deserved it. It will be because of Christ. It will be for the sake of Christ. It will be because Christ perfectly obeyed and sacrificially died for sinners like you and me. And this proves God's faithfulness forever. Let's pray together. Our Father would draw us out of our momentary trials and difficulties up into the great story of your faithfulness that we would have great confidence that you were unchangingly faithful and good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.